This is a story about love. Love that came down from heaven. Love lived with us. Love spoke. Love healed. Love drew crowds. Love changed lives. Love made waves. Love was bold in the face of enemies. Love was true, no matter the cost. And love was faithful. Love prayed, listened, and obeyed. Love knew it had to be done, and did. Love was betrayed and abandoned. Love was silent when wrongly accused. Love was whipped. Love was beaten. Love was tortured and mocked. But love was strong. Love dragged itself to a cross and laid down willingly to be insulted, shamed, nailed, stabbed, ripped, abandoned, and killed. Love hung from nails as the crowd looked on. And God looked away. Love denied comfort. Love refused rescue. Love courageously did what love had to do. Love sacrificially did what only love could do. Then love took one last breath. And finished. Love gave his life. Love paid our debt. Love saved us all. Even when we were not worth saving. That's real That's love. That's real love. That's real love. That's real love. It would probably be perfectly acceptable to say, so as the worship team comes forward and we close the service. But uh, believe it or not, the Lord has given us the messages this morning. So uh, uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be uh, serving, uh, humbly serving and filling in while Pastor Aaron and Thomas are away. They are in Disneyland, Disney World. Which one is it? Disneyland, and it's only anybody's guess between Aaron and Thomas which one of them are having the most fun, right? <laughs> you have to love, I know I love Aaron's enthusiasm and his energy. It's just, uh, it's infectious, is it not? Let's pray for the message. Father, we thank you for this day and uh, for the opportunity to gather together as we do every Sunday uh, to come and to worship you. And Father, we Thank you for the reminder that uh, you're an all-loving God and that love came down and lived with us and spoke with us and healed and shook some things up. That, was, that love was betrayed and abandoned and beaten, tortured and mocked. Love, that love knew what had to be done and did it. And Father, this morning, as we come together, as we always are, we're a bunch of imperfect vessels. And Father, the message that you're delivering this morning is certainly from a very imperfect vessel. But you have given us a word. And Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you will do with the word today what it is that your Holy Spirit wants to do. Because he is still in the business of changing lives. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name that anything that needs to be washed away from us today will be washed away. And all people said, 
Amen. If uh, you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard these words. That love is patient and kind. That love is not jealous. And love is not uh, boastful or proud or rude. And that love does not demand its own way. That love is not irritable. And that love never keeps any record of being wronged. And that love does not rejoice in injustice, but love does rejoice when the truth wins out. You'll also hear that love never gives up. That love never loses faith. That love is always hopeful. And love always endures. Church, those are encouraging words for us to hear this morning. Amen? Amen. Three things will last forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Love is a big deal. And also in John fifteen thirteen, the scripture says this, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And as we begin this journey for the next few minutes this morning, I want to share with you something that happened to me in 1977. Gee, that was a long time ago. Some of, most of you weren't even born in 1977. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I uh, happened to be stationed at the uh, fire station in downtown Fort Wayne, fire station number one. I was uh, a uh, firefighter EMT specialist assigned to a rescue squad, and uh, it was a beautiful Sunday morning. I will never forget it, very much like this morning. Uh, fall in Indiana, believe it or not, Indiana is not a bad place to be in the fall. Not as pretty as here, but it's a pretty good place to hang out. And uh, at 10 o'clock, the alarm blew, and we did what we always did when the alarm blew. I know, Cody, you'll uh, appreciate this story. Uh, We put on our gear, jumped on the rig, took off, and we got within a mile of the scene, and it was obvious to us that we were in for a hard day's work. The black, thick smoke was already way up into the sky. So we were the second uh, crew on the scene, and the first crew went in the front door. We went around to the back of the building. And we noticed that when we, uh, in fact, the dispatcher had let us know on the way in, uh, the name of this building was the Allen County Tire Company. Now, I don't know if you know much about tires and how they burn, but they burn real, real good. They burn, they put off a, a thick black smoke that is very, very toxic. And it's just, it's just, a, it's just a different kind of thing to have to deal with. So we go around the back of the building and of course we break through the, the back door and as you know firefighters love to break stuff so we, we broke through the back door and, and uh, uh, got fire to the hose I was on the front of the nozzle uh, two of my, my fellow firefighters were behind me on the nozzle and the minute that we crawled in that building uh, I knew that this was not going to be like anything that we had ever experienced before, certainly that I had never experienced before. This was my first year on the fire department. So we go crawling in this building and we get maybe 20, 25 feet into the building. 
And when we arrived on the scene, we could tell that uh, this fire had been going for quite a while. And we couldn't find the fire. And so the, the heat and the smoke uh, and the fire continued to build. And after crawling in about 25 feet into the back of the building, an explosion took place. Firefighters call it a backdraft. And what it simply is, is when an extreme amount of heat and fire and toxin and gas gets access to oxygen, it just explodes. And that's what happened. Well, when this explosion took place, the three guys behind me on the line literally got blown out the back of the building. Unfortunately, I didn't. What happened to me was the debris from the, from the, uh, the roof came on top of me. It blew me over on my back. And I was laying there looking up through the face piece of my breathing apparatus and all I could see was fire. Not only was fire all that I could see, but I was also getting burned at the same time. I was getting burned on the right side of my face where my face piece stopped on the breathing apparatus. Uh, basically, when it was all said and done, my right ear, uh, right part of my face had third degree burns. Ambrose had fallen down into the coat of my sleeve. My arm was being burned. Uh, I had some other embers that had fallen down in through the collar of my coat. Uh, I was not in a good place. And as I struggled to free myself from the debris, uh, I remember distinctly three times where I tried to roll over and somehow I figured if I could get out from underneath this debris, I could crawl and maybe find my way back uh, to the door of the building and, and, and uh, remove myself from this predicament that I found myself in. But after the third time of trying to remove this debris from myself, uh, I remember distinctly uh, simply rolling over on my back and looking up through my face piece and realizing that I was going to die. And then something miraculous happened. A fellow firefighter, fellow brother, uh, rec knew, recognized, they did a quick count and recognized that somebody was still in the building and they, they, they knew it was me. So Michael Warnsley uh, the firefighter who uh, was stationed with me on the rescue squad, at risk to his own life, came crawling in the back of the building, followed the line in, was able to somehow pull enough of the debris to find me laying underneath this debris, literally grabbed me by my boots and drug me outside of the building. And I'll never forget, I really don't remember between... Uh, looking up to my face piece and being drug out of the building. I'm not sure where I was at that point in time. But I, what I remember distinctly next after they pulled the breathing apparatus off of me and, and hosed me down with the hose was looking up at the most incredible fall blue sky that I had ever seen in my life. And remembering just how thankful that I was to be alive. Now, the trip to the uh, hospital was what it was. Uh, the EMTs kept looking at me and uh, they, didn't, they didn't look too excited about the way I looked. I was a mess. 
Got to the hospital, got to the emergency room. And uh, shortly after being in the emergency room, after, after uh, uh, getting some Demerol started uh, to ease the pain, I looked through the door of the emergency room that I was in, and uh, a priest came walking in. Now, generally speaking, if you're in an emergency room and a priest comes walking in, it's usually not a good thing. And I wasn't Catholic. But the priest was very nice. And, of course, when he came walking in, I started making sure I had all my arms and legs, that I wasn't as, as, as bad off as maybe what uh, I was. But he was very nice and uh, said a prayer over me. And uh, I missed a few days' work, got back to the engine house. But I have to tell you this. It's quite something to have someone be willing to lay down their life for you. And I never could look at Michael Warnsley the same way ever, ever again. Every time I saw Michael, I saw him differently than I had seen him before he saved my life. Every time Michael walked into a room, for some reason, I automatically stood up out of respect. If Michael needed coffee, I got the coffee. Whatever Michael needed, it's quite something to have someone be willing to lay down their life to save yours. And I could never look at Michael Warnsley the same. Love is a big deal. A big, big deal. We all need love. We all need to feel loved. We all need to feel accepted. We all need to uh, have someone in our life that loves us without condition, who accepts us just the way that we are. Wars have been fought, won, and lost over love. Babies have been born. People have been killed over love. Philosophers have spent millenniums trying to figure out what love is. Millions of poems and books have been written about love. And of course, today, love remains the single greatest topic of songwriters that there ever was. In fact, the Beatles wrote, all you need is love. And then they broke up. I guess they needed something a little more than love. And the truth is that whenever we need to wrap our minds around something, there are really two places that we can go. We can go to the world and we, we can see what the world has to see about the topic or what the issue is that we're trying to kind of get our minds around and we can go to God's word. So let's take a look at what Mr. Webster has to say and what God has to say about love. According to Webster... Love is a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. A feeling of warm, personal attachment. Church, I have to tell you, on the third date, when I told Sherry that I was probably falling madly in love with her, I'm so glad that she didn't look at me and say, Well, I've got a warm, personal attachment for you, too. My life would have been drastically different if she would have said that. But here's what God has to say. In 1 John 4, 7 through 10, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves God, anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
pure and simple. God is love. God is an all-loving God. And over the past four weeks, Pastor Aaron has been preaching and teaching on the attributes of God. Today is one more of those attributes, that God is an all-loving God. And Pastor started preaching from the basic concept that God is a pretty important reality for us, that God exists and that He is real, and that He's all-powerful or omnipotent, that He's all-knowing or omniscient. And then last week he preached and, and taught on the concept of God being omnipresent, or everywhere at the same time. And I have to tell you, I, I can kind of get my mind around God being an all-powerful God, right? I can kind of get my mind around God being an all-knowing God. But being everywhere at the same time, that just flat blows my mind because I have a hard enough time being one place at the right time. But that's the kind of God that we serve. And quite frankly, every one of these attributes reminds us and reassures us that the good news continues. These attributes of God are something that is not only good news for us to remind ourselves of, but church, the good news that we've been sharing the last few weeks and the good news of today is news that deserves to be shared with the rest of the world. And according to Jesus, according to Jesus, according to the words of Jesus, the one single thing that should make us stand out, that should make us a peculiar kind of folks more than anything else, is our love. Jesus said in John 13, 34, and 35, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You know, my mom used to say the proof is in the pudding. Now, she actually said pudding. But the truth of the matter is, is that that's pretty much, what, pretty much what Jesus is saying here. Is that the way the world will know that we are followers of him is by how we love. By how we love each other and how we love other people. Love is a big deal. So, since our love is connected to God's love for us, let's peel the sheets back some more on God being an all-loving God, a God who held nothing back from us, a God who went all in with all of the chips. Before we do, let's talk real briefly about five reasons this is going to be important. First of all, it's important because when we believe in, accept in, and really receive God's love, we can trust God. We're not going to trust God until we really believe in and receive God's love. Makes sense, right, church? Our trust is going to follow our belief in and receipt of God's love. And, and it's the foundation of becoming a disciple. It's the foundation piece of really building the life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The second reason it's important for us to review some of the evidence today is because when we trust him, we're going to be more willing to choose to follow him and actually be a disciple. The more that we love God and trust Him, the more we're going to be willing to pay the cost to actually following Jesus, to actually being a disciple. In church, as we know, there's a cost to be paid to following Jesus. The third reason is that when we choose to follow Him, then we're faced with the choice of yielding our flesh to the power of the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. In church, this is hard. At least it is for me. It is really, really hard 
for us to be willing to do the things that we need to do on a daily basis. We'll talk a bit more about that here in a second. In terms of what it really means to be a disciple, really be a follower of Jesus Christ. The last reason it's important for us as followers to review the evidence today of God being an all-loving God is that when we come alongside others and encourage them to experience the same hope we have in Christ, we get to build disciples. So in essence, that's the recipe for becoming a disciple and building disciples, which is what we want to do here at the Christian Church. The bottom line is this. We will not truly trust Jesus to be the Lord of our life unless we believe in and trust in his love for us. Instead, what we will tend to hang on to is our own will, our own self-assurance, and our own life. But for those of us who are here today, for those of us who have said, Jesus, you are Savior and Lord of my life, the Bible is very clear. We don't belong to ourselves anymore, church. You know who we belong to? We belong to Jesus. We're no longer our own. We are His lock, stock, and barrel. We're slaves to Jesus. This is a real part of our struggle as followers of Jesus, deciding who we're really going to serve. It's part of the angst. It's part of the of, of getting up every day and suiting up and showing up and engaging the battle, engaging the life of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, deciding who we're going to serve. And in the, the, uh, the words of the old Bob Dylan song when he was a Christian, I'm not sure what Bob Dylan is now. The bottom line is we're going to serve somebody. We're going to serve somebody. So, since we can't be his and ours at the same time, let's review five pieces of evidence that will reaffirm why we can trust in a loving God. A God that wants us to be all his a God that wants us to be all in for Him. And of course, we have to start at the most logical place, and that's in creation. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Have you ever wondered why? I have. Why did God create the heavens and the earth? Didn't God have anything else to do with His time? Well, let's take a look. Genesis 1.27 says, God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And then in Isaiah 43.7, the word says, Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. So, there's no mystery. One of the reasons, if not the reason, that God created the heavens and the earth was so that we could have relationship with God. God wanted to create the heavens and the earth for us. That's love, church. That's a pretty loving God. And the point of an image is to be an image, to point to the original, to reflect the original, to glorify the original. So it's clear that God created us to bring glory to himself and to create a being in His image that He could have a relationship with. It took love to do that. But if we think that's cool, check this out. In Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, 
The word reads, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him good pleasure. Church, God had us in mind before he even got about the business of creating the world. That is a God that is a loving God. That's a God who is all in. That's an awesome thing. The second piece of evidence we're going to review this morning and remind ourselves of is simply this, and that is we've been handpicked. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been handpicked by the Lord himself. In the book of John, Jesus offers up a beautiful prayer in chapter 17, beginning in verse 9. The Lord says this, My prayer is not for this world, but for those you, who you have given me, because they belong to you. And then in verse 24, he says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be where I am. They can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. So check it out. Ephesians 1, 4 says, even before he made the world, God loved us. And Jesus says in 17, 9 of John that God loved him even before the world began. Well, church, what that tells me and what that, what that tells us this morning is God was thinking before he created the heavens and the earth about Jesus and us pretty much at the same time. That's pretty cool company to be keeping, church. That's an awesome God. The third piece of evidence we're going to review this morning is, is this. And probably for us as, as followers of Jesus, the most poignant, and that is that Jesus laid down his life for us. In Romans 5, 8, the word says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were, while we were still sinners. And in 1 John 4, 10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The cross is the greatest symbol of God being all in with his love for us. And at the heart of this love story stands the cross where evil did its worst, but met its match in God's amazing grace. Philip Yancey said this, and I quote, to some the image of a pale body glimmering on a dark night whispers of defeat what good is a God who does not control the suffering of his own son? But another sound can be heard, the shout of a God crying out to human beings, I love you. Love was compressed for all history in that lonely figure on the cross who said that he could call down angels at any moment on a rescue mission, but chose not to because, because of us. The world beckons us to a silver screen on which flickering images of passion and romance play. And as we watch, the world says, this is love. God takes us to the foot of a tree on which a naked and bloodied man hangs and says, this is love. Once again, we're faced with the choice of looking at the world 
and what the world has to say about love or looking at what God has to say. In James 4.4, the words simply say this, If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. And church, those are tough, hard words. Those are words that discipline us, don't they? Speaking of discipline, that's the fourth piece of evidence we're going to review this morning, that God loves us. I know, Jerry, I should have left this one out. Because we don't like discipline. Uh, Quite frankly, um, I didn't want to put this one in there. But God disciplined me, so I put it in. You know, as a father or mother, you discipline your kids, right? And you don't discipline your children to be mean or vengeful. The reason that you offer discipline to your kids is because you love them. And that you know it's going to be through uh, that, that loving correction that's going to help them grow and mature and develop uh, into older kids, young adults, adults. And at the end of the day, the reason that you discipline your kids is because you love them. And it's the same way with us as God's children. It's the same reason that our Father in Heaven disciplines us. In Proverbs 3, 11 and 12, the Word says, My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when He corrects you. For the Lord corrects those He loves just as a father corrects a child in whom He delights. And in Job twenty-three ten. Job says, but he knows the way that I have taken. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. I did a quick research because I wanted to talk a little bit about gold and diamonds and how, how that relates to our refining process as followers of Christ. And if you want to figure out how to make diamonds, here's the recipe for it. You take carbon dioxide and you bury it 100 miles into the earth. And then you heat it to about 220 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you squeeze it uh, with pressure of about 725,000 pounds per square inch. And then you rush all of that to the surface of the earth to cool. That's how you make diamonds. And it's good for us to be reminded this morning that the most pure gold is refined by extreme heat and fire. And it takes a lot of pressure to make a diamond. And since gold and diamonds are nothing compared to how God loves us, He is going to allow us to experience some heat and some fire and some refining process. Haven't read in Scripture yet where it says following Jesus is going to be easy. It's going to be a refining process. But because God loves us so much, God allows us to be disciplined as His children. Now, most of us hate this discipline. And for 27 years, I've flown around on planes watching parents bring their small kids on on airplanes. So I can prove for a fact that we hate discipline. Okay? But the truth of the matter is, is that we need it. And it's all part of God's plan and refining process for us. The fifth fifth piece of evidence we want to review this morning is this, and that is that God lives in us and that we live in Him. And this is a pretty, pretty amazing thing. In 1 John 4, 12 through 17, 
The word reads as this. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who confess that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. All who live, live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in the world. Church, what an awesome thing it is to know that we're not going to fear facing God on the day of judgment because of the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So we reviewed some of the evidence of God's word that he went all in with all of his chips for us. He loved us before he created the world. He handpicked us, adopted us into his own family, sent Jesus to lay down his life for us on the cross while we were still sinners. He disciplines us and he loves us so much that he embedded his spirit within us to reside within us. These facts are really irrefutable. And there is no doubt that God put all of his love in and risked everything because of his love for us. So church, with the good news continues. God is an all-loving God. God is love. But we need to ask ourselves another question this morning, and that is this. Are we all in for Him? It's a, church, it's, a, it's a decision that needs to be asked. And quite frankly, it's a question that I need to ask myself probably more than anybody here this morning. Matthew 16, 24 says this, If anyone desires to be my disciple... Let him deny himself, disregard, lose sight of, forget himself and his own interests, and take up his cross and follow me. Cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living, and if need be, in dying also. Again, church, these are hard words. But following Jesus wasn't supposed to be easy. In church, the world desperately needs us, desperately needs us to be what Jesus calls us in the Beatitudes. You see, we are called to be the salt and the light to this world. And if you haven't noticed lately, the world needs light. The world needs our salt. So let's ask ourselves a couple of questions this morning. Because we're all in this together. The first question we need to ask ourselves is this. How are our individual lives impacting the people we know? How are our lives impacting the people that we come in contact with? How are our lives impacting the neighbors and the friends that we associate with? The people we live next to? Are our lives reflecting the kind of fruit the Holy Spirit produces? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
When people look at us, what do they see? Do they see that we're peculiar? Do they see that we act differently than other people that they know? Do they wonder what it is that we have that they don't have that intrigues them and attracts them and appeals to them enough to have some degree of openness and some degree of interest in finding out what in the world makes you tick? Why are you different than other people? What is it in your life that makes you different? Or are we just like everybody else that they associate with? These are good questions for us to ask. 1 Peter 1.16 says this, It is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And church, since God is holy, then His love for us must be a holy love that encourages holiness in His people. Can I get an amen, please? Okay. Listen. We're all going to leave a legacy. We're all going to leave a mark. The truth of the matter is, is what kind of legacy we're going to leave. That's really the only question before us. We're going to leave a legacy. The question remains, what kind of a legacy are we going to leave? And church, and my friends and brothers and sisters, I do not want my leg- part of my legacy to be that Larry had a lot of potential to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The church could care less about our potential as followers of Jesus Christ. What they need is us to see us living a life that follows Jesus. A, really a life of self-sacrifice. That's what the world needs to see. We are called to be the salt and light. And church, I know, I know for a fact that none of us wants our legacy to be that, that we had great potential. That, that you know, we had, we had we, oh, we, we, could have, we could have really done something for the Lord. None of us wants that kind of legacy. So maybe it's time for some of us to cowboy up. Maybe it's time for some of us to, to take a look at, 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 at where we're at in our lives. And, and what, what it is that is separating us or what, what kinds of things there are that are separating us from the kind of life that Jesus Christ really wants us to live. I know my friends from Moon River Ranch will understand what cowboy hat means. Now, I want to make it very clear that there's not one single thing, church, that we can do to deserve God's favor. There's not one single new thing that we're going to jettison from our life that we need to get rid of today that's going to make God love us anymore. That's not what I'm saying. We are covered by God's grace. And there's not anything that we do to deserve God's unmerited favor. He doesn't love us because we're so lovable or that we can make ourselves worthy of His love. Yet right smack dab in the middle of our unworthiness, He prizes us highly. And he bestows his very best, his very best on us. It is his love for us that gives us worth. And he finds great delight and receives great glory when we respond to his love, enter his fellowship and do his will.
I want to come back to 1977 for the footnote of the story. When I was laying there, uh, pretty well convinced that I had uh, breathed my last breath and I was literally cooked, forgive the pun. Um, and my brother, Michael Warnsley, decided to... Uh, and, and you know, I, I never asked him. I, I never... I, 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 wish, I wish I had. But I never, I never thought to ask him... Why? Why? Why did you? Why did you, at at risk to your own life? Why did you crawl back in that burning building, and try to find me and rescue me? I, I suppose that to a great extent it was because of his sense of duty. Obviously, it was an incredible sense of courage, uh, an incredible amount of self-sacrifice. And I suspect there's a little love in there someplace as well. As I said earlier, it's an amazing thing when someone is willing to lay down their life for you. But the footnote of that story is this. That day when Michael crawled back in the burning building and rescued me and saved my life, Jesus Christ was not my Lord and Savior. I was going to hell. I was living the good life. I was pretty young, living footloose and fancy free. I was road hard and put away wet. I was about as far away from God as, as you could possibly be. I was going to hell. God used Michael Warnsley to save my life that day. But it was God's grace that spared me from spending the rest of eternity in a place that I did not want to go. In the words of the old Southern Gospel song, He left the splendor of heaven knowing His destiny was the lonely hill of Golgotha there to lay down his life for me. And if that isn't love, then the ocean is dry and there are no stars in the sky and the little sparrows can't fly. If that isn't love, then heaven's a myth. There's no feeling like this if that isn't love. It's a good feeling to know that we are loved. It's a good feeling to know that there was someone who was willing to crawl in to the burning mess of your life and save you. It's a good feeling to know that the God who created this universe loved you before he even went about the business of creating what he created. It's a good feeling to know that in spite of our best efforts, 
of cowboying up and stepping up and, and making a decision today. You know what? I've got some business to do in my life today to be the kind of follower of Jesus that I know Jesus wants me to be. It's good to know, it's good to know that when you do that, that God's not going to love you anymore. He loves you just as much as He can possibly love you just the way that you are. Your life will be better for making some decisions that you need to make. But God's going to love you no more or no less than He does right now. Church, that's a good feeling to have. It is good news to know that God put every single chip in the table that He could possibly put in. What we need to ask ourselves this morning is, do we have some chips that we're holding back? Do we have some chips that we need to put in the table? One of the most influential men of my life, uh, Pastor Paul Clausen, is a dear brother in the Lord. He and I talk every Tuesday night. He was our pastor. He still is uh, my pastor back from Edmond, Oklahoma. And uh, we used to get together on Saturday mornings at the Agonai. And about every third week, we would get together. He'd look at me and say, Larry, i got a question for you. And I knew what was coming. He'd say, when are you going to make a decision to go all in for Jesus? And I'd look at him and I'd say, well, pastor, probably only when I'm getting good and ready. And he was relentless. And I would love to tell you guys this morning that, you know what? On my table, I'm holding no chips. All my chips are in. I'd be lying to you. I'd be a bald-faced liar if I were to tell you that I put all my chips in for Jesus Christ. I believe that's a lifelong process. It's a good thing that God doesn't call us to perfection. He only calls us to the one who is perfect. I was hoping to get an amen on that one. Amen. God loves us. God loves us. I don't know what your need is. If there's anybody here this morning who doesn't know the love that we've been talking about, then today's the day. Today's the day. There's no reason to go out that door without coming forward and accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We'll love on you. We'll wrap our arms around you. We'll build a relationship with you. We'll disciple you. And believe me, if you're worried about not being good enough, you're in the right place because everybody else here is exactly just like you. You may be here today and you're a follower of Jesus and you've got way too many chips you're holding back. Today might be a day you need to make a decision to put more chips in the table. I don't know what your decision is, but he does. So as we stand and sing, whatever decision you need to make, let's make it.